If you have your Bible, please turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, and it will be from verses 7 to 12. Chapter 4, verse 7. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asked, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. By woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you again for our time today. Thank you for uh, this gathering that is here to think on your word and reflect on it, to respond as we think through what it means uh, to be in relationship, not just with each other, but with you. So, Father, we pray that you'll continue to delve into our hearts to bring up what we are truly putting our satisfaction in, whether it be friends and family or whether it be any of the topics that we've looked at over the last few weeks. We ask, Father, for your kindness to us, that we might see what we're actually putting our trust in, that we might properly turn from that and trust you. So, Father, bless our time this morning. We ask this all in Jesus' mighty and beautiful name. Amen. Turn your attention to the screen. We're going to watch a short video. One point of view gives one impression. Music is still going. The view, it gives quite a different impression. But it's only when you get the whole picture you can fully understand what's going on. That's an advertisement from the Guardian newspaper. And it makes a very important point, doesn't it? Now, much could be said about the perspective of news media today, but the point is that having the right perspective, the whole picture, is crucial in life. Not just for news, but for more the, the, uh, the more we think about the subject that we've been thinking about for the past few weeks, satisfaction. See, over the past few weeks, we've looked at what can give you satisfaction in life. Uh, Jordan kicked us off by asking the question, can purpose give you satisfaction in life? Right? And so while we said that purpose was good, having the right purpose is actually more important. Pastor Richard then looked at health and well-being. Uh, and then we saw last week, uh, we saw in that sermon as well, that health is good, but it cannot be ultimate either. And last week, we touched on financial security. And money, and again, we saw that money is good. It's, we all need it, but we ca it cannot be ultimate in our lives. And through this series, we've seen this kind of pattern that what we're searching for is good, but it cannot be the ultimate thing in our lives. And through, through this series, we've been diving into the book of Ecclesiastes to see this. Now, especially from last week, you may have noticed in the reading that uh, about money, that there's a, a different perspective going on in the passage. 
Uh, let me read it again and highlight for us what the perspective that's going on. So speaking on keeping and hoarding wealth, this is what Solomon says. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 16. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? But then you notice he switches tone. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and the power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. Do you notice in those passages, in one moment, Solomon is saying, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. And then literally in the next minute, he actually says, actually, it's good to enjoy it. Why does he make that switch? Well, it comes down to these two words, gain and gift. See, if you look at life through the point of view of gain, what can you get out of it? What do you need to do in order to pursue, in order to gain? Then you will end up in a life of vanity, of chasing after the wind, of trying to grab onto it. It just doesn't work. But it's only when you get the whole picture that you fully understand what's going on. Only when you see life as a gift from God can you fully understand how to enjoy the gifts that he gives. The gift of purpose, the gift of health and well-being, the gift of financial security, and today the gift of relationships. So, do you have the right point of view? When we surveyed the community on referendum day last year, this topic that we're looking at today was by far and away the top answer. What brings you satisfaction in life? Friends and family do. Relationships do. Well, do we have the right point of view when it comes to relationships? We're going to begin like we did last week by looking at how having family and friends is good, that we are created as relational beings. So what the Bible says on relationships and friendships is, I think, relatively clear. The relationships are needed and good. Let me quickly walk through what the Bible says on this. Let, let, just let this wash over you. Okay? First, you have the creation story. Uh, for some reason, the AI image generator gave them clothes. I'm just, just saying that AI isn't as smart as we think maybe at this time. Anyway, yeah, you've got the creation story. And you've got men and women who are made in the image of God. Now, to be made in the image of God is multi-layered, but one aspect of those many layers is that human beings are in relationship with each other in the same way that the triune God is in relationship within himself. Uh, let me unpack that just for a minute. Remember the triune God, that sermon series that we did last year? Uh, we tackled different aspects of how the triune, uh, God is triune, Father, Son, and Spirit, one, three persons in one God. One aspect that we looked at is how God is love. And to be made in the image of God means, that to, means to be able to reflect this loving relational aspect of God. Humans are created to be in relationship with others because God is in relationship within himself, and we reflect that, and that is good. We see this goodness in the passage we read out for us as well, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, uh, focusing on verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. 
Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. A point here, I think, is again straightforward. Two are better than one. When two people work together, their work produces better rewards, more fruit. In verse 10, if one person falls, one, uh, the other will pick them up. Well, that makes, makes sense. Verse 11, keeping warm at night is better with two than with one. Verse 12, when you're in a fight, having a friend beside you is better than going alone. And then at the end, uh, Solomon uses this kind of poetic feature of ramping up the imagery. If two are good, then three is even better. Like, think of it, a single cord rope is, would snap easily. A double cord rope would be stronger. Threefold cord, even stronger. Right? The more, the merrier. It's better to have more. And notice that then also as well, the relationships here mentioned, are, it's not defined. The relationships fit, uh, any relationships fit into this category, whether it be family or friend. Relationships in general are good. The Bible does have to, uh, a bit to say about family relationships, though. Take Proverbs chapter 17, verse 6. I'm just doing a very quick sweep here. This is not exhaustive. But let's read this. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their father's. Right? The relationship between parents and children and children to grandchildren is one of mutual glory. When families love and care for each other, they honor each other. That's a good thing. It kind of makes sense then of why Paul, when he instructs fathers to not provoke their children, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, he's speaking in relational terms, not just discipline in the sense of law and punishment, leading your family in a way that doesn't leave your children angry and bitter. A firm hand with no gentleness and love no care and support leads to an angry child. But a good relationship between parent and child is filled with love, with discipline, obedience, and joy. The Bible says a lot about friendships as well. Here's a quick survey from Proverbs again. Uh, 17, 17, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. The love of a friend, of a good friend, is like the love of a family member a brother from another mother, as they say. There is a deep relational connection being celebrated here. 27, 17, iron sharpens iron. The one and one man sharpens another. Friendships shape us for better or for worse, and hopefully for the better. There's something to the truth that the closest people in your life really do shape who you are. Uh, Proverbs 13, 20 says as much. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. See, friendships and relationships are good when they influence us towards what is tr good and true. And be sure, you are either influencing others or being influenced yourself. But again, the, he, the point here is that the value of friendships and relationships is elevated. So whether it's a relationship between a parent and child, between friends, between couples... The Bible says that we were made for relationships, and that's a good thing. And you know what? The general data in the world echoes this as well. Last year, more and more reports were being written about the same thing, an epidemic of loneliness. 
Apparently, and quite alarmingly, one in four adults across the world have reported feeling very or fairly lonely. I imagine that there will be some even here in a church community that would be feeling fairly or very lonely. The survey spanned across 142 countries and have found that the largest age group that feels the loneliest are young adults, those aged 19 to 29. Hands up if you're aged 19 to 29. There you go, they're lonely. (laughs) 27% of that group said that they felt feelings of isolation and loneliness. Now, the issue is so bad that the World Health Organization has declared it to be a pressing global health threat with even the U.S. Surgeon General saying that the mortality effects of loneliness are equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's pretty shocking news, but it's not new. The world has been shocked by some of these stats before about relationships. When the Soviet Union fell and a dictator in Romania was killed, the world suddenly got to see inside the hell of Romanian orphanages. Children who had their physical needs met daily, but had no human interaction. And with that came severe problems. Social problems, emotional control problems, intellectual problems, you name it. Humans are built for relationships. We cannot live properly without them. Now, the data is also positive in other ways, too. Being married, apparently, is very good for men, right? It extends your life. Apparently, there's some wisdom from wives that helps keep men living longer. Study after study shows that it's helpful for men, men. not so for women. Um, You live just as long. But apparently, studies have shown that when women have close friendships, multiple close friendships, they live longer. The point of all this to say is that relationships are good for us. God has created us to be in relationship with each other, and and when we're not in relationships, it's bad. So, it's no wonder that most people, when asked what gives you satisfaction in life, said having friends and family, right? Being surrounded by the people that you love. It makes total sense. And yet, there's also a problem with this. You see, relationships are good, but like every created thing in this world, they cannot be the ultimate source of our satisfaction. See, if you look to your relationships to bring you satisfaction and fulfillment and contentment, then you will place on them a burden that it cannot carry. You see it all the time when it comes to families. When parents place on their children the big burden to perform well, or to look and behave well, not just because it will be good for their future, but because when children do it well, it helps the family look favorably before others and bring honors to them. When that happens, then you have satisfaction. But that comes with an incredibly high risk of enormous damage. There are some children who excel very highly, sure, who seem gifted in understanding, but they are a fraction of the top 1%. For most kids, there will be emotional strain, 
and increasing mental health challenges. Now, I'm not saying that don't push your kids to study harder, but the danger is if you put your hopes and satisfactions there, then they are shouldering something that they shouldn't, that they were never created or designed to do. Husbands and wives, are you looking to your spouse for fulfillment and satisfaction? That's not going to end well either. Because you know better than anyone else how flawed they are. Now, don't get me wrong. The most godliest person that I know in my life is my wife, Steph. Right? But at the same time, the most sinful person that I know outside of myself is my wife, Steph. Now, I can't exactly claim maybe to be the most godly person in her life, but I can easily claim the title of the most sinful. See, your spouse is one of the closest people to you in your life. They know your thoughts, they know your actions. When you're dating, you don't see any of these flaws, right? You've got these rose-colored glasses on, and maybe it's also partly because you've got these kind of unstated expectations that this person in front of you is just perfect in every way. But then marriage has a wonderful way of taking those glasses off and then smashing them to the ground. Your spouse is at best wonderful, but even at their best, they cannot be and they can never be your saviour. And they would be a terrible God. How about friendships? Surely we can put some trust there, right? But again, people will be people. And eventually they will let you down. The best of friends will often drift apart. Life does that to you. Other friendships sour because of misunderstood words or a reaction that you weren't expecting. And then I know some people who just have really high expectations of what friendships should look like in terms of love and support and getting to know each other and caring, and they're just constantly disappointed in people. The point is to say that relationships can't bring ultimate satisfaction, nor can they be the source of our satisfaction in life. Relationships are good, we were created for them, but if we place on them the burden to bring us satisfaction, the, to bring us to be the source of our joy, then we will crush these relationships under the weight of these expectations. See, every relationship we have in this life is actually a signpost of something greater, something more. We were created in God's image to be in relationship, not just with each other, but to find true and fulfilling and satisfying relationship with God. That's where Solomon ended his thoughts uh, and where he concluded. Right at the end of Ecclesiastes, he comes to this conclusion. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. See, it's here. It's in remembering God, fearing Him, being in relationship with Him, that we find the truest relationship in life. A relationship that will not be exhausted and will not fail. A relationship strength which is built upon the obedience of Jesus, of God's Son. All relationships are two-way streets. Energy and effort are required from both sides, right? A one-sided relationship really sucks to be in, where you put in all the effort and the other person just enjoys the benefits. It's not great. That's our relationship with God, though. 
we haven't been the best. In fact, we've been the worst. We haven't sought relationship with Him. We've been in rebellion against Him. But God overcomes our inability to be friends with Him. He makes friends and builds relationships with those who were enemies. See, He takes these enemies and turns them into friends by sending His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins and rise again to life. And because of Jesus' willing obedience to this God, uh, to this, God is able to turn away his wrath against sin, forgive those who ask, and reconcile people to himself. He then opens their eyes to see their desperate need for him. And he helps us to see what trusting Jesus means by placing our lives in his hands, by placing our eternity and our security in his hands by placing our need for purpose and well-being into His hands. And there we find rest from our toil. And there is where we find freedom from placing our hopes in anything else. See, it's in coming into relationship with God that our relationships become freed from the burden of carrying our hopes and satisfaction. Our parents, our spouses, our friends... We're all freed from placing our relationships that burden, on our relationships that burden to perform. We're freed because there's security in knowing and being known by God through Jesus. That's the relationship our hearts have longed for. And only there will we find satisfaction, contentment, and rest. Now, before we end, there's a big question that we've got to circle back around to, a question that this series in general has raised. Months ago during the referendum, we asked our local community, what gives you satisfaction in life? Right, that's a good question. But do you notice that it's a self-oriented question because it puts you at the center of finding the answers? And it puts our, your satisfaction in life as central of central, uh, of central importance. But that's a dumb thing to do for a few reasons. And I'm very thankful to Pastor Andrew Hurd for his sermon on this because it was very helpful. So I'm going to borrow some of his thoughts. Right? First, there are many areas in life where satisfaction is not a priority. Right, let me walk you through some examples. Say you were offered an all-expenses-paid holiday, you and your family or you and a couple of your closest friends. All expenses paid, nothing spared. But you're given two choices of location for the holiday. The first choice of the holiday destination is Japan. Look good? Everyone's nodding. Some people went, ooh, nice. Right? Tokyo, Osaka, Kyoto, all these beautiful places to visit and food to eat. The other option, ready? Ready? The other option is an all-expenses-paid holiday to Dolby. Right? Well, in making that choice... Satisfaction is probably the first priority, and that makes complete sense. And you'd be a fool to not choose Dolby, right? But what about this choice, right? Uh, say my son Jaden is walking home from school, and he finds a bag. And inside the bag is $5,000. Right? And he thinks, you beauty. I'll be able to buy a new phone, buy a new computer, and give some to mum and dad, right? Right? Okay. <laughs> but then we find out that the money was lost by a single mother and she struggled for nearly 18 months to save up that money 
so that she could buy a car to help transport her to a new job. Now, would it be appropriate for me to turn to Jaden and say, hey, Jaden, what would bring you most satisfaction in this moment? No, that would be a bad question. Because in something like this, the question of satisfaction is just very low on the priority list. That's a matter of right and wrong. Here's another example. Uh, Think of a husband who's been working late often. There's been lots of responsibilities he's looking after, and he's doing his best to get the work done and earn more money to support his family. He's noticed that his marriage has hit a very dry spot. He and his wife are functioning more like friends who happen to live together than a married couple. And then he finds himself getting emotionally and physically closer and closer with a female colleague. What should he do? Should he ask himself the question, what will bring me the most satisfaction? No. He has a duty to his family. He has a duty to his wife. He must honor his vows. You see, sometimes life requires duty and honor, and satisfaction is just not a part of that equation. And then there are times when we must sacrifice our personal satisfaction for the greater good or for a longer-term goal of greater satisfaction later. So if your child came to you and said that they were going to quit school and concentrate on creating a YouTube account, then you would say to them, not a good idea, right? That may satisfy you right now, but maybe you've got to sacrifice that because you've got to plan for longer-term gains, right? A longer-term plan that will give you maybe a bit more satisfaction later. See, and herein lies the problem with the question, what gives you satisfaction in life? It's a question that I raised all the way at the start of today's sermon. The issue of seeking things for personal gain or receiving them as gifts from God. Right? If you make satisfaction your gain in life that you have to work hard to achieve, then that is the path to vanity. It's the chasing after the wind to try and grab hold of it. It's consistently what Solomon found and reflected in the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you're sitting there and you kind of go, I don't, I don't know, maybe I could do it, read the book of Ecclesiastes. Because again and again, the idea of trying to gain things in life lead to vanity, lead to a chasing after the wind. If you look at life through that lens of what you can gain from it, then you'll find yourself in an endless tiring and wearisome pursuit. But if you are in relationship with God, if God is at the center of your key focus in life, then you are freed to enjoy whatever gifts he gives you. The gift to enjoy your work even in the midst of hard and dutiful days. The gift to enjoy your children and not place on them the burden to satisfy you. The gift to enjoy your spouse and not put onto them the expectation that they will fulfill all of your needs and your hopes. The gift that you don't need to invent your own purpose in life. The gift that when things are good with your health, praise God. Because we know so many whose health has faltered and failed. The gift when finances are steady when income is good, so that you may enjoy that and be generous with it. The gifts of relationships without the burden of placing those expectations on them. Having God at the center means knowing Jesus more and more, 
loving him and letting his life and message direct and shape your life. That is the path to true satisfaction. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, this has been a very brief look at this topic. We pray that its impact will be large and wide. Help us to not assume that relationships are the biggest and the greatest thing in our lives. Help us to not place unhelpful expectations on the relationships in our lives. Help us to remember that we are in relationship with you. And so we are free to then enjoy our relationships rightly. Most of all, Father, as we reflect on this series, as we think on what gives satisfaction in life, we ask, Father, that you'd help us to remember all the good things that you've given us, but to not make them ultimate. Help us to not turn to these things and place all of our hopes and our source of, uh, as a source of satisfaction. Help us to place them in rightly as they are orbiting around you and not at the center. Help us to do that, that we might know true satisfaction, that we might receive that gift. We don't trust you in order to gain satisfaction. We trust you and we are gifted wonderfully with it. So Father, help us to not use you as a means to an end, but to revel in relationship with you. For we ask this for your glory and our joy in Jesus' name. Amen.